Welcome to the Spaceport America podcast with me, Alice Carruth. I'm the Public Relations Coordinator at the New Mexico Spaceport Authority. And in today's episode, I'm joined by my new boss, Scott McLaughlin, the new Executive Director of the New Mexico Spaceport Authority. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Alice. I appreciate it. But firstly, congratulations on the promotion. I know you're a New Mexican. I know a lot about you, but I'd really like our audience to learn a lot about you as well. Can you tell us a bit about growing up in New Mexico and how that influenced your career? Sure. I uh, was born in Albuquerque. spent just a bit of time in El Paso as a kid and then grew up in Las Cruces. At the time, Las Cruces was, oh, maybe 50,000, so it's a pretty small town. Um, Las Cruces is kind of unique because we have White Sands Missile Range and we have the White Sands Test Facility. And then there's even the Space Museum in Almogordo. There's the very large array. So oddly, even though I'm in a small town growing up, there, there are a lot of um, things related to space. We also had um, NMSU, New Mexico State University, has a great astronomy department. And a couple of notables have been there for a long time, Dr. Rita Beebe. And then, of course, Clyde Tomball. So there were there were things I did as a kid um, where we would go look at stars on the star nights. Uh, and I did go to the very large array and the space museum. At the time, the space shuttle was the thing going on. So all of that kind of conspired that I always had a, a love of space. And, of course, in New Mexico, we get great skies, too. So, you know, you could look at the stars almost every night and see more than a lot of people get to see sometimes their whole lives in big cities. So um, anyway, a small town but still love of space. <laughs> Very true. Now, you are a Mayfield High Trojan and an NMSU graduate, but you left New Mexico after graduating from college. What took you away and then what brought you back? Well, I have three brothers, and so it was always a ruckus household. When I uh, graduated from high school, and, and I, I, uh, in high school, oddly, I, I was a bit of a rebel, um, and academically, I, for some reason, didn't concentrate on some things like I should. So there probably could have had some options to leave the state, but um, those weren't uh, quite as readily available to me. And, and But that was okay. I went to New Mexico State. I got to uh, stay in the dorm, so I got to get out of my um, away from my brothers. And uh, eventually, I even did a, a, a stint on student exchange. But but it, it was an odd thing growing up in New Mexico, you know, in this small town. I, and so when I finally graduated, there was almost nothing I wanted to do more than to get away from Las Cruces. And uh, I don't even remember thinking of uh, going to someplace like Albuquerque, which was quite a bit bigger, or considering moving to El Paso. I really wanted to go off and do bigger things. I wanted to uh, design stuff and get involved in bigger things. So it was a, a big desire to get away. And I think that's true for a lot of people in small towns all over the country. But true for a lot of people who grow up in Las Cruces. So you left 10 years after graduating from university after a stint at White Sands Missile Range. Where did you go to? Um, well, I got, I got my job at White Sands Missile Range as a, basically as a student trainee co-op, and it was a great job. And um, part of that job was working at a place that used to be called Atmospheric Sciences Laboratory, which is a preeminent laboratory in the world for atmospheric research. It eventually was absorbed by what became Army Research Laboratory. So I had that before I graduated it, and then I graduated, and then I had that for quite a while afterwards. Um, by then, I was married, so my wife uh, finished school um, after I did. And so after we left, we I wound up going to work for one of the uh, manufacturers I had worked with at White Sands who had made some equipment with us. So I got to go to Austin and be in Texas, and which was interesting. Austin's a fun town. Uh, right after that, I, that company I was reorganizing, so I had to look for another job, and I actually got a job at Mission Control in Houston. 
But oddly enough, I didn't like that job. I, I was involved in payload. You know, it ought to have been a dream job. I, I couldn't have been more happy when I got that job. But after two or three months, I, I just I wasn't as interested. The, the payloads, the, the mission control folks have to be all very, very smart people. I think they're almost entirely engineers in, in their subject matter, whether it's propulsion or communications, human spaceflight. You know, they're not the folks in space, and they're not the folks doing the design of the equipment. And after I'd been there for a while, I determined I had to be either one of those. I had to be either the guy going to space or I had to be the person designing the equipment, but I, I didn't like being in the middle. And, and uh, so we, uh, I got another job, and the job I got was at uh, in Boulder, Colorado at the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. So there I got to continue working on the atmospheric side, designing and working on, on radar systems that measure wind. Pretty cool job, like resume that you've got there, Scott. What brought you back to New Mexico? Well, NOAA was a great job. I got to work on several interesting projects. One was a shipboard radar, uh, and I got to go on one of the NOAA ships and sail around for three or four weeks. That was interesting. But uh, my family, Boulder is a very expensive place to live, so we we lived in Longmont, just north of there. And so to help out with watching the kids who were at home, um, they were, were, you know, what what we sometimes call latchkey kids, which we didn't... neither my wife or I liked. So I, I went ahead and left NOAA and worked for a small company in Longmont doing very similar things. That uh, company uh, couldn't handle some of the big projects we were working on. So I started to work for another company also in Longmont that I actually started a division of uh, for the same product line. And that company made bird detection radars and now drone detection radars. But what I was working on, of course, was the wind profiling radars. So I did that for uh, over 10 years, and then that, uh, and I had a stake in that company. I was one of the owners, and uh, eventually uh, that company got absorbed by another small company back in Boulder. So I did that a few years, but the merger didn't go quite as happily as uh, I would have liked. And that's what happens sometimes with mergers and acquisitions. There's there's a, a meshing of business cultures and personalities and, and vision. And it's not expected that everything would go well. So we, uh, my wife and I took that opportunity to, to look around and decide what, what else we wanted to do, what else I could do with my career. And, and frankly, we looked all over the place. We thought about it international. I had a, a very interesting job I was looking at in Seattle. Um, but ultimately, we decided to come back to Las Cruces because my, my mom was still here. And um, it was a good chance to come back and kind of uh, decompress after kind of being on the executive level with with these small companies for a while, and, and especially after the merger and some and some difficult projects, I, I wanted to decompress and, and get and get away from the traffic in Colorado. There's a lot of traffic and and the cold winter. So we moved back, I think, three years ago now. And you joined uh, the New Mexico Spaceport Authority in April of 2019, if I'm right. Tell me about your time yeah. at the spaceport before you became the executive director. Well, when I came back, I was I worked for my old company for one more year. But you're right; then I came to work for Spaceport, and it was kind of a natural thing to get back into business development and engineering, which is uh, the, the the part of Spaceport I got involved in. It wasn't it wasn't directly on the operations side; it was more on uh, talking to potential uh, customers and making sure it's a good fit, looking for new markets, looking for partnerships. So that that developed into being director of business development for a year year and a half, and then. Of course, that developed into me becoming the executive director just a, a few weeks ago. So what have you learned in your time since you've joined the team at Spaceport America? What do you see the Spaceport strengths and weaknesses? Well, the Spaceport America is a, a very hybrid type organization because it's it's 
it's within a governmental body, but yet it has to be a revenue-producing uh, organization, and it needs to operate um, like a small company in, in that it's, it's growing and it needs to try and attract customers. So uh, I think what, what worked out for me was my almost 15 years in government and 15 years in private industry really came together where I could see both sides of what's going on. And I, I oddly felt kind of comfortable, you know, trying to bring some order to, to Spaceport America over the last several months. So um, the potential for Spaceport America is incredible. I think we have a great team. We have a great site. It's good to be able to look one direction and, and understand the mechanics of how a government agency works, but then look the other way and say, but this is what Spaceport needs to do to progress and grow and attract customers. As you know, we get a lot of questions that come in on social media and in, on emails to us. What do you think are the most frequently asked questions that we have at Spaceport America? Um, and also, what are the most frequently misconceptions around the Spaceport? I think that the, the biggest question we've uh, dealt with or the bis- biggest misconception is what Spaceport America is. And, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and, and I don't blame uh, people on the, in the public for not understanding. But first of all, we're a state agency, and, uh, and then second of all, we, we run a large site, 18,000-acre site. And within that site, we have um, what, we, what we call the advanced technology area, where we do things like the kinetic launch with spin launch, one of our uh, newer customers. And then we have a vertical launch area, and then we have the horizontal launch area where Virgin Galactic is and where a new, another new company, Aerovironment, is operating. And I think the biggest mis- misconception is that people think that Spaceport America and, and Virgin Galactic are the one and the same. And Spaceport America is the site. It's the entire site, 18,000 acres, located in the that site at the at our horizontal launch area, of course, is the gateway to space, the big, beautiful hangar that was built approximately 10 years ago that Virgin Galactic leases from us. So I think people get confused. They see the, the gateway to space as as Spaceport America, not really realizing that Spaceport America is much bigger. And, um, and we're focused on many customers, not just Virgin Galactic. Of course, Virgin Galactic is our foundational customer, and, and we want to see them succeed and get to space as soon as possible. But um, we're, we're we're trying to be more in that and, and find uh, more customers and bring more jobs to New Mexico. So what do you see as the economic impact of Spaceport America here in southern New Mexico? So it's been growing. Um, there's been complaints about the, the cost to build Spaceport America and the operations cost. But we're now up to about 60% of our funding for our operations comes from revenue. And that it involves uh, private sector employees. I think we have something on the order of 220 more uh, private sector jobs that are there because of Spaceport America. If you use kind of these multipliers that economists talk about, you might wind up with another 200 jobs, which are called indirect or induced jobs. Those are jobs that wouldn't be there if the primary job, if the direct job wasn't be there. So you can talk about our economic impact on the job side being somewhere on the order of maybe 400 or 500 jobs. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, we need it to be bigger than that, but that's 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 so much larger than it was just a couple of years ago. And once Virgin Galactic operates, um, you know, routinely with space tourism, we expect them to increase quite a bit the number of uh, their regular employees. So, um, and then our other economic impact is the amount of construction that takes place out there. So a lot of our our tenants are building things out there. Um, other customers who are, are out there even short-term build things out there. So a lot of that gets back into the economy. I think in the last 18 months, we had over $60 million in construction that um, took place. So a lot of the materials come out of Las Cruces, so Las Cruces benefits 
but um, Las Cruces, New Mexico, but then where the spaceport is in Sierra County, then they benefit from the construction uh, taxes that take place. And then finally, the other benefit is uh, with all the events we have out there, there's quite a bit of uh, folks that that fly into El Paso and stay in the local area and spend money and, and do business in the local area. So those three things combined, I think we're beginning to have a pretty big impact on the local community. What? do you see as the future of Spaceport America? What are you going to be bringing in to make it look different and, and to, to explain to the public what it is we're going to be doing in the future? I think the, mo- the most important thing is to, is to see Virgin Galactic get into an operations cadence. And they, they've talked about having a pretty high level of flights. And I don't think any of us quite know um, how that will integrate completely uh, at Spaceport America. So I think the most important short-term goal is to is to understand that cadence, what it does to us, how, how we as a spaceport can handle it in the local community, our partners at White Sands Missile Range who, who manage the airspace. And, and that should all, those questions should all be answered in the next uh, few years as, as Virgin Galactic ramps up. They, they, of course, only have one carrier aircraft, the White Knight 2 VSS Eve, and then they have um, the one spaceship, um, which is the VSS Unity, but their plans are to have an additional uh, carrier aircraft and two more spaceships. So in that case, we, we should see a pretty high usage out there. Um, once we understand that usage and get in and can see through that, we still want to keep um, attracting other customers that would work in the vertical launch area and, and even in the advanced technology area and working on new innovative ways to get the space. And I don't think it's hard for any of us to sort of imagine a day when a when a spaceship is uh, when a when a rocket is safe enough to take off and land. I mean, we've all watched uh, SpaceX prove that they can safely land uh, routinely the Falcon 9. So at some point, I think the the reliability and the safety will increase to the point where you know maybe we'll see orbital launches from Spaceport America. It might be you know a decade or two in the future, but. It, it would be wrong to say that that would never happen. So New Mexico is no uh, stranger to the aerospace industry, as we've obviously talked about a lot of times, and, and on this episode as well. It's, we have a great legacy of space industry here. What do you see as the strengths in our aerospace industry, and how can we use that to our advantage to attract more customers out to somewhere like Spaceport America or just to the state alone? Well, I mean, if you go all the way back to Robert Goddard doing tests in, I think, the 1920s and 30s outside of Roswell, you know, one of the the biggest reasons for us to uh, be involved in space is simply because we have wide open areas and very sparsely populated areas and and great weather for flying. Um, You know, that that has continued over the years. I think that's a primary reason White Sands Missile Range was located here, and I think... uh, I think well, I think we've heard that White Sands has sent more objects to space than anybody so far. Ironically enough, of course, it's all suborbital. Um, but White Sands Missile Range helped create um, a community uh, that also was reinforced when NASA put in the White Sands test facility, where they did a lot of uh, small rocket engine tests just outside of Las Cruces, and. And because we have Los Alamos National Laboratory, we have Sandia, and we have Kirtland, uh, who are all involved in space, we've, we've wound up with a very nice community in New Mexico that is um, many people are focused on space in many different ways. And, and again, maybe, maybe for the same reason I love space as, as growing up as a kid, there's a lot of people in New Mexico that love space. 
So uh, we have a lot to offer. I think the big thing is the, the for the, the spaceport is the weather, but the community of people involved in aerospace in so many different ways is pretty broad in New Mexico. I think that's probably unlike most uh, Western states. You touched a little bit on the idea of us only using suborbital launches at Spaceport America. Can you explain to people what suborbital is and why it is we're not looking to do the orbital launches from the inland spaceport that we have? Yeah, a, a suborbital launch is simply going up and coming back down again, and, and that could be just uh, a few miles or it could be, uh, you know, 50 miles or more. But it takes a tremendous amount of energy to to not only go up, but to start rotating around the Earth. And you have to be able to do that on the some order of something like 17,000 miles an hour. That's why when you watch a Falcon 9 take off, you, it takes mostly takes off mostly going vertical, and then it eventually kicks over. Um, you know, it tries to get through as much atmosphere as it can to get rid of some drag, and then it eventually kicks over and starts gaining speed. And eventually, of course, it's fast enough to be in orbit. But um, all, there are many ways to go to orbit, and different vehicles have been envisioned. You know, some are um, multi-staged, and some are thought to be maybe single-stage. And I think we can all think about vehicles like the Space Shuttle or the Saturn V or the Falcon 9. But when there's a staging event, first of all, usually there's a little bit of debris that comes off of that event. Um, there may be explosive bolts. There's an, there's an intercoupler stage. And, of course, uh, rockets are still uh, much uh, riskier in their flight than, say, a 7, you know, 37. So, you know, this is why all of the, uh, all the rocket uh, launches that in America that uh, go to space, um, you know, take place over the oceans. So if something bad happens, they, they, there's nothing, uh, nobody's going to get hurt in the process. So in the, in, in the very far future, again, you know, 10 or 20 years, things are happening fast with, with rockets nowadays. Um, maybe those, uh, maybe the, the, the way staging events happen will become in such a way that there aren't any parts falling from the sky. And, of course, even though the, a rocket engine is in a, a controlled explosion, uh, maybe the engines and, and the whole system design will get safer and safer to the point where they would be allowed to fly over um, a populated area. So we, maybe we could see orbital launch from Spaceport America. It, it, there's no reason to think that won't happen. Technology always surprises us. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. So you touched on it a little bit there, but where do you see the aerospace industry in 10 years and where do you see Spaceport America really fitting into it? So, you know, the workhorses of a launch are, are going to remain uh, Florida and uh, what some people call the Eastern Range it is on, under the Air Force and the Western Range, Vandenberg Air Force Base. And again, they, they fly over water. Uh, Wallops uh, is, a, is a place where you can fly over water. They, they typically don't fly as large a rocket as you would fly out of Florida. Um, but for right now, Spaceport America is involved in all kinds of aerospace tests. We're doing engine testing. Uh, we, we host engine testing by our customers for liquid and solid. We're doing these new advanced technologies. Uh, we've done, we're, do, we're now doing very high-altitude drone uh, UAS. And then, of course, the, we're doing space tourism. And tourism has always been on the, the frontier of whatever leading-edge technology is being developed. You know, the, you know from, from people who, who bought the first cell phones, it was people who could afford the very, very expensive cell phones. But now we all own a cell phone, right? You could, couldn't live without a cell phone. But the same goes for whether it, it's a ship or a train or a plane. Um, it was the wealthy who could afford to go and, uh, and do those things. And that's kind of what's happening with these uh, these short rides to space. 
So I think what will happen with Spaceport America, yeah, what I'd like to see is as we host the first suborbital flights to space uh, for space tourism, eventually there will be discussions and development of, of, uh, of technologies that can take you from one spaceport to another spaceport. So now, instead of being weightless for just a few minutes, um, as you will be in, you know, with Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin, you could be weightless for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and fly from one side of the world to another side of the world. So that is going to have its own market. I, I'd certainly like Spaceport America to be part of that market. It would be a safe one because the staging event is such that it's it's likely uh, there would be a carrier aircraft, so something very similar to what is happening with Virgin Galactic. So, um, and then and then um, we I want to continue. I hope we can continue being a good site for tests uh, for a lot of different uh, entrepreneurial type rocket companies that need to test technologies and engines, and and of course continue to work with White Sands Missile Range, our partner, and and others in the area who we um, work with. So you touched a little bit there on the idea of spaceport to spaceport travel, and it's very um, widely known that Spaceport America is part of the Global Spaceport Alliance. Can you explain to people why we're part of that alliance and what it is we're hoping to achieve in the future? Well, the America is uh, always one of the, one of the reasons so many new technologies get developed in the United States is because we have a we have a market system um, that that can fund that those systems and um, that's one of the benefits of of the way America runs its free market and um, and because of that we have uh, commercial space uh, ports developing in the United States where where we have these new uh, entrepreneurial companies doing these new and exotic things. But it's not just us. Other places in the world are also developing their own spaceports. A lot of them uh, are in areas that are much more densely populated, so they can't do the sort of things we can do here out west or at Mojave. But we do expect them to develop um, additional spaceports in, in, in other countries. So we, we hope to get to the point where we will be cooperating together on, on possible new markets, new technologies, um, and things probably we haven't even thought about yet. Perfect. Spaceport is no stranger to bad publicity, should we say, in the last year. Um, and we are under the, the microscope at the moment to see what we're going to be doing differently. What is it you think you're going to do bringing into this new position as the uh, executive director of the Spaceport? I, you know, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, that, that, you know, I, I have been involved in growing companies in a couple different levels. And, and what happens is, is you wind up with just a few people with a, who wear multiple hats. And then as your organization grows, people start trading hats about what, the, what they're in charge of. And the organizational structure has to change, too. And it's been difficult for Spaceport America, again, because they're, they're designed uh, in some way to be a revenue-generating organization, a, a business development and marketing organization, yet they're, they're inside of a government agency. But that's not unlike many uh, things, many other similar things, like many airports, of course, are owned by the city, and uh, they're also designed to act like a bridge to, to help, a, help a company go from one place to another place um, and that's what Spaceport America is. We're, we're a government agency, but we're promoting that a private company can use the facility to grow themselves and go someplace they can't uh, otherwise get to. So uh, my, my goals with Spaceport America are, are to improve the governance that we have now 
which is we're right in between where just a few years ago we were still developing Spaceport, and now all of a sudden we have these customers on site, AeroVironment, SpinLaunch, and Virgin Galactic, and Up Aerospace. So we're in an interesting transition period where we're still developing ourselves, but we have to be able to handle the, the workload we have and look toward the future and be able to grow. Uh, every year we'll probably grow just a little bit, and we have to be able to, to do that in a way where we, we don't hurt ourselves in the process. We have to be a learning organization, as it's called, and know that the, the hats are going to be passed around and, and the, the organization tree is going to change a little bit, but we'll improve as we go and learn as we go. I like that. That's a good response. Well done, Scott. What one thing do you think the public needs to know about Spaceport America? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think, unfortunately, there's a perception that uh, that government can't do anything right, and I've never quite understood that perception. I mean, we got to the moon because of NASA, and NASA is a government organization. We we won World War II because of the government and the Army and the Air Force and, uh, well, the U.S. Army Air Force, um, and those are government organizations. Um, the government does a lot of good things, but the government is not always good at everything, and the, the government is, is the government's bodies are designed for stability. And I, I think that's what makes it hard for us is, is to grow and to be stable at the same time. You know, it's like having one foot on something that's moving around and the other foot um, that is on stable ground. So that that's hard. So I, I think the public needs to understand that uh, we're, we're going to be transparent. We're going to be open. We are going to change. We're going to have to change as we grow. The, the technologies in aerospace and space are going to change. But um, I think New Mexico did a very good thing. Um, it, you know, 10 years ago, what, we, what New Mexico thought it was doing was pretty much based on, on Virgin Galactic and hoping for a few other um, tenants. And now we do have those tenants. But in the meantime, we're watching, again, Falcon 9s regularly land. Um, if people have been watching the Starship uh, development in Boca Chica, it's just incredible to watch that thing fly and come back down, the, you know, even, even aside from the explosion. But in the meantime, the rest of the country uh, is getting ready to go to the moon. So we, we're just on the precipice of something really big when it comes to commercialized space. And I'm, I'm excited to be part of that, and I, I hope New Mexico is excited to be part of that. Following on from that, what advice would you give to someone who's growing up here in, in Las Cruces or anywhere in New Mexico who's really wanting to get involved in the aerospace industry and eventually become an executive director like yourself? <laughs> uh well, I, 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 like I said, I, I wanted to leave, and um, I don't regret that decision. I, I came back to New Mexico very often and saw my, my parents, and um, but a lot of my friends also left, and a lot of those people left, and they never came back. And uh, I never knew whether I would come back or not. But, you know, you have to keep your eye on the prize and uh, what it is you want and be true to yourself. I think that's the big thing. I, I didn't know I will wind up as executive director of Spaceport America, but I've always tried – uh, to go to bed at night, you know, thinking that I do the right thing today, no matter how small. And um, and did I make some progress on on some of my goals in life? In a lot of those goals were just about self improvement. And I think that's what's kind of carried me through the difficulties of of my career. And uh, I I I think a lot of people who find themselves in in positions like this uh, will say the same thing that they they didn't know they would wind up there. And I don't think it's necessarily good to to look at that as a big goal. I think it's uh, better to look at the small goals that you need to get through day to day, week to week, year to year. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, congratulations again on your promotion as the Executive Director of Spaceport America. And thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Alice. It's good to, good to talk about it. Thank you. No problem. 
Awesome. Did I miss anything? With me? Yeah. No, it's just a fun job. <laughs> <laughs> I just get to see you. You did a really good job of chatting. I think you did yes. across really well. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Alice. No problem. Speak to you soon. Bye. Right, bye-bye. The Spaceport America podcast, proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.